Book Six, Chapter Five of Camilla. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Bellwest. Camilla, or a Picture of Youth by Fanny Burney. Book Six, Chapter Five, Mount Pleasant. The shame and distress natural to every unhackneyed mind in any necessity of soliciting a pecuniary favour, had now, in that of Camilla, the additional difficulty of coping against the avowed desire of Mrs. Albury not to open her purse. When they arrived at Mount Pleasant, she saw all the horsemen alighted and in conversation with that lady, and Edgar moved towards the carriage palpably with a design to hand her out. But, as the Major advanced, he retreated, and, finding himself unnoticed by Mrs. Arlbury, remounted his horse. Provoked and chagrined, she sprung forwards alone, and when pursued by the major with some of his usual compliments, turned from him impatiently and went upstairs. Intent in thinking only of Edgar, she was not herself aware of this abruptness till Mrs. Arlbury, following her to her chamber, said, "'Why were you so suddenly haughty to the major, my dear Miss Tyrold? Has he offended you?' much surprised she answered no but forced by further questions to be more explicit confessed she wished to distance him as his behaviour had been remarked remarked how by whom she coloured and was again hardly pressed before she answered mr mandelbear once named it to me oh did he said mrs arlbury surprised in her turn why then my dear depend upon it he loves you himself me mr mandelbear exclaimed camilla doubting what she heard nay why not why not repeated she in an excess of perturbation oh he is too good too excelling he sees all my faults points them out himself does he said mrs arlbury thoughtfully and pausing nay then if so he wishes to marry you me ma'am cried Camilla, blushing high with mingled delight at the idea and displeasure at its free expression. Why else would he caution you against another? From goodness, from kindness, from generosity. No, no, these are not the characteristics of young men who counsel young women. We all heard he was engaged to your beautiful, vacant-looking cousin, but I suppose he grew sick of her. A very young man seldom likes a silly wife. It is generally when he is further advanced in life that he takes that depraved taste. He then flatters himself a fool will be easier to govern. She now went away to dress, leaving Camilla a new creature, changed in all her hopes, though overwhelmed with shame at the freedom of this attack, and determined to exert her utmost strength of mind not to expose to view the secret pleasure with which it filled her she was however so absent when they met again that mrs arlbury shaking her head said ha oh, my fair friend what have you been thinking of excessively ashamed she endeavoured to brighten up the general and sir sedley had been invited to dinner the latter was engaged in the evening to lady alethea selmore who gave tea at her own lodgings the rooms then will be quite empty said mrs arlbury so we had better go to the play Mr. Dennell had no objection, and Sir Sedley promised to attend them, as it would be time enough for her ladyship afterwards. 
so completely was camilla absorbed in her new ideas that she forgot both her borrowed guinea and the state of her purse till she arrived at the theatre the recollection was then too late and she had no resource against completely emptying it she was too happy however at this instant to admit any regret the sagacity of mrs albury she thought infallible and the sight of edgar in a box just facing her banished every other consideration the theatre was almost without company the assembly at lady alethea selmore's had made it unfashionable and when the play was over edgar found easily a place in the box lord newford and sir theophilus gerard looked in just after and affected not to know the piece was begun sir sedley retired to his toilette and mr denell to seek his carriage some bills now got into the box and were read by sir theophilus announcing a superb exhibition of wild beasts for the next day consisting chiefly of monkeys who could perform various feats and a famous orangutan just landed from africa lord newford said he would go if he had but two more days to live sir theophilus echoed him mr dennell expressed some curiosity miss dennell though she protested she would be frightened out of her wits said she would not stay at home mrs albury confessed it would be an amusing sight to see so many representations of the dear human race but camilla spoke not and scarce heard even the subject of discourse you cried the major addressing her will be there where demanded she to see this curious collection of animals it will be curious undoubtedly said edgar pleased that she made no answer but tis a species of curiosity not likely to attract the most elegant spectators and rather perhaps adapted to give pleasure to naturalists rather than young ladies softened at this moment in every feeling of her heart towards edgar she turned to him and said do you think it would be wrong to go wrong repeated he surprised though gratified is perhaps too hard a word but i fear at an itinerant show such as this a young lady would run some chance of finding herself in a neighbourhood that might seem rather strange to her most certainly then cried she with quickness i will not go the astonished edgar looked at her with earnestness and saw the simplicity of sincerity on her countenance he looked then at the major who accustomed to frequent failures in his solicitations exhibited no change of features again he looked at camilla and her eyes met his with a sweetness of expression that passed straight to his heart mrs albury now led the way to the coach the forwardness of the major though in her own despite procured him the hand of camilla but she had left upon edgar an impression renovating to all his esteem she is still he thought the same candid open flexible still therefore let me follow her with such counsel as i am able to give she has accused me of unkindness she was right i retreated from her service at the moment when in honour i was bound to continue it how selfish was such conduct how like such common love as seeks only its own gratification not the happiness or welfare of its object could she though but lately so dear to me that all the felicity of my life seemed to hang upon her become as nothing become destined to another no her father has been my father and so long as she retains his respected name i will watch by her unceasingly in their way home one of the horses tired and could not be made to drag the carriage up to mount pleasant 
They were therefore obliged to alight and walk. Mrs. Arlbury took the arm of Mr. Dennell, which she did not spare, and his daughter, almost crying with sleep and fatigue, made the same use of Camilla's. She protested she had never been so long upon her feet in her life as that very morning in Knoll Park, and, though she leant upon her companion with as little scruple as upon a walking-stick, she frequently stopped short and declared she should stay upon the road all night, for she could not move another step. And they were still far from the summit when she insisted upon sitting down, saying fretfully, "'I'm sure I wish I was married. Nobody minds me. I'm sure if I was I would not be served so.' i'm resolved i'll always have two coaches one to come after me and one to ride in for i'm determined i won't marry a man that has not a great fortune i'm sure papa could afford it too if he'd a mind only he won't everybody vexes me i'm sure i'm ready to cry mr dennell and mrs Alberry, who neither of them at any time took the smallest notice of what she said passed on and left the whole weight of both her person and her complaints to camilla the latter, however, now reached the ears of a fat, tidy, neat-looking elderly woman, who, in a large black bonnet and a blue checkered apron, was going their way. She approached them, and in a good-humoured voice said, "'What, poor dear! Why, you seem tired to death! Come, get up, my dear, be of good heart, and you shall hold by my arm, for to other poor things almost haul to pieces!' Miss Dennell accepted both the pity and the proposal and the substantial arm of her new friend gave her fair superior aid to the slight one of Camilla. "'Well, and how did you like the play, my dears?' cried the woman. "'Lo!' said Miss Dennell. "'How did you know we were at the play?' "'Oh, I have a little bird,' answered she, sagaciously nodding, "'that tells me everything. You sat in the stage-box?' "'Dear, so we did. How can you tell? Was you in the gallery?' no my dear nor yet in the pit neither and you had three gentlemen behind you besides that gentleman that's going up the mount dear so we had but how do you know did you peep at us behind the scenes no my dear i never went behind the scenes but come i hope you'll do now for you hadn't much further to go dear how do you know that because you live at that pretty house there up mount pleasant that's got the little closet window la yes ah who told you so and there's a pretty cat belonging to the house all street brown and black oh la exclaimed miss dennell half screeching letting go her arm i dare say you're a fortune teller pray don't speak to me till we get to the light she now hung back so terrified that neither camilla could encourage nor the woman appease her and she was going to run down the hill forgetting all her weariness to seek refuge from the servants when the woman said why what's here to do why see my dear if i must let you into the secret you must know but don't tell it to the world i'm a gentlewoman she then removed her checkered apron and shewed a white muslin one embroidered and flounced miss dennell was now struck with surprise of which camilla bore an equal share their new acquaintance appeared herself in some confusion but having exacted a promise not to be discovered to the world she told them she lodged at a house upon mount pleasant just by theirs, whence she often saw them, that, having a ticket given to her by a friend for the play, she dressed herself and went into a box with some very genteel company who kept their coach, and who sat her down afterwards at another friend's, where she pretended she should be fetched. But I do my own way, continued she, and nobody knows a word of the matter, for I keep a large bonnet and a cloak and a checkered apron and a pair of clogs or pattens always at this friend's 
and when i have put them on people take me for a mere common person and i walk on ever so late and nobody speaks to me and so by that means i get my pleasure and save my money and yet always appear like a gentlewoman when i'm known she then again charged them to be discreet saying that if this were spread to the world she would be quite undone for many ladies that took her about with them would notice her no more at the same time as she wished to make acquaintance with such pretty young ladies she proposed that they should all three meet in a walk before the house the next morning and talk together as if for the first time camilla who detested all tricks declined entering into this engagement but miss dennell charmed with the ingenuity of her new acquaintance accepted the appointment camilla had however her own new friend for the opening of the next day oh my sweet protectress cried she throwing her arms around her neck what am i not destined to owe you the very sight of that man is horror to me amiable generous creature what a sight was yours when turning round i met your eyes and beheld him no more your alarm at which i cannot wonder said camilla prevented your seeing your safety for lord newford was with a large party oh he is obnoxious to my view whenever i may see him in public or in private i shall fly from him he would have torn me from the loved characters of my heart's best correspondent camilla now felt a little shocked and colouring and interpreting her said is it possible mrs burlington and stopped not knowing how to go on oh you know me then you know my connections and my situation cried she hiding her face on camilla's bosom tell me at least tell me you do not therefore condemn and abhor me heaven forbid said camilla terrified at such a preparation what can i hear that can give you so cruel an idea alas know you not i have profaned at the altar my plighted vows to the most odious of men that i have formed an alliance i despise and that i bear a name i think of with disgust and hate ever to own camilla thunderstruck answered no indeed i know nothing of all this oh guard yourself then well cried she bursting into tears from a similar fate my friends are kind and good but the temptation of seeing me rich beguiled them i was disinterested and contented myself but young and inexperienced i yielded to their pleadings unaware of their consequences alas i was utterly ignorant both of myself and the world i know not how essential to my own peace was an amiable companion and i knew not then that the world contained one just form to make me happy she now hung down her head weeping and desponding camilla sought to soothe her but was so amazed so fearful and so perplexed she scarce knew what either to say or to think the fair mourner at length a little recovering added let me not agitate your gentle bosom with my sorrows i regard you as an angel sent to console them but it must be my mitigating not partaking of them camilla was sensibly touched and though strangely at a loss what to judge felt her affections deeply interested i dread it she continued to tell you my name for i dread it to sink myself into your contempt by your knowledge of an alliance you must deem so mercenary twas folly to hope you would not hear it yet i wish first to obtain at least your good will the dear lost name of melman is all i love to pronounce that name i believe is known to you so maybe also perhaps my brother's unhappy story melman she then said believing miss lindmere betrothed to mr mandelbear had quitted hampshire in misery 
to finish his vacation in Wales with their mutual friends. There he heard that the rumour was false, and would instantly have returned and thrown himself at the feet of the young lady by whose cousin, Mr. Lionel Tyrold, he had been told she was to inherit a large fortune. When this second report also was contradicted, and he learnt that Miss Linmere had almost nothing, "'My brother,' added she, "'with the true spirit of true sentiment, was but the more urgent to pursue her, but our relations interfered, and he, like me, is doomed to endless anguish. The accident, she said, of the preceding morning was owing to her being engaged in reading Rose letters from the dead to the living, which had so infinitely enchanted her that, desiring to peruse them without interruption, yet fearing to again wander in search of a rural retreat, she had driven to Knowle, where, hearing the noble family was absent, she had asked leave to view the park, and there had taken out her delicious book, which she was enjoying in the height of luxury of solitude and sweet air, when Lord Newford broke in upon her. Camilla inquired if she feared any bad consequences by telling Mr. Burlington of his impertinence. "'Heaven forbid,' she answered, "'that I should be condemned to speak to Mr. Burlington of anything that concerns or befalls me. I see him as little as I am able, and speak to him as seldom.' Camilla heard this with grief, but durst not further press a subject so delicate. They continued together till noon, and then reluctantly parted, upon a message from Mrs. Arlberry that the carriages were waiting. Mrs. Burlington declined being introduced to that lady which would only, she said, occasion interruptions to their future tete-a-tetes. Neither the thoughtlessness of the disposition nor the gaiety of the imagination of Camilla could disguise from her understanding the glaring eccentricity of this conduct and character, but she saw them with more of interest than blame. The various attractions with which they were mixed, blending in her opinion something between pity and admiration, more captivating, though more dangerous, to the fond fancy of youth than the most solid respect and best-found esteem. End of Book Six, Chapter Five